0: You're listening to the Living Writers Show. Uh, I'm T. Hetzel, and today in our studio, uh, Ray McDaniel. Thanks for coming. Raymond, Raymond McDaniel.
1: I'll take either. (laughs) Thanks for having (laughs) me. May I
0: call you Ray on the air? (laughs) You
1: can call me whatever
0: you like. So kind and accommodating. Um, Well, Ray is is here. He's going to be reading. Uh, m- most of you, m- well, I'd say a good portion of the listeners today probably already um, know Ray, uh, but I'll still start with the traditional bio. From the back of Ray, Ray's latest book, Salt Wire m- Saltwater Empire, Raymond McDaniel is the author of the National Poetry Series award-winning collection, Murder of Violet. Originally from Florida, McDaniel now lives in Ann Arbor, teaches at the University of Michigan, hosts the reading series at Shaman Drum Bookshop, and writes for the constant critic. Welcome, Ray.
1: Thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: well, it's great to have you here. And, um, and th- thanks for bearing with our, 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 our temporary radio quarters as well, the exciting world of radio. Um,
1: those a, of you those of you who are only listening can't imagine the deluxe <laughs> accommodations in which we are sitting.
0: At least I gave you a bottle of water.
1: <laughs> we are in a stately pleasure dome.
0: <gasps> uh, well, good. Thank you, Ray. Thank you for keeping up the magic of radio. You,
1: you know, they have or, to use their imagination.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's kind of the good thing about radio. Yeah, and else
1: what's the point? <laughs>
0: Yeah. What's the point of anything? This is not going to be a bleak show because it's sunny outside, even though we've been getting hit with the sto- the the snow, the winter storms. Well, yes,
1: and through these glorious bay windows, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> we can see the sun. <laughs>
0: Thank you for being here today, Ray McDaniel. It's my pleasure. Um, Is this kicking off the tour for Salt Wire? Why do I keep calling Salt Wire? I'm determined. I don't know.
1: uh, That's going to be the
0: film version, right? I think you're actually
1: summoned into being the next book.
0: (laughs) After the superhero book. I'm
1: working working a theme. Salt water, salt wire, salt wiggity, salt wiggly.
0: You sound like my <laughs> elementary school student. That's wonderful. <laughs> That's inspired. Saltwater Empire. Is this the beginning of your 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 book tour? With uh, it's you the book's out with Coffee House Press.
1: It's just just out. Uh, or technically, it's uh, it's not even out yet. Uh, publication date is April. Oh, okay. Uh, but distributors will usually release the book maybe a month and a half for events. a Month and a half early. And I just got back from Florida. I went uh, I went home for a week, and I gave the very first reading there.
0: oh, that's that's a kind of a yeah. wonderful cause Florida native, as we heard in your bio. And um, I'm,
1: you know, I'm the only one who left, so I get to see, you know, all my family members
0: what, where were you like, whereabouts is it? Uh...
1: this was in the reading occurred in uh, Neptune Beach oh, okay. or, sorry, Atlantic Beach proper. Uh, it's uh, at a store called the Bookmark. Which is a little independent down at the beach. There, it's a gorgeous store, amazing staff.
0: And Neptune Beach is that near Jacksonville? Is that, yes? It's
1: uh, off the. Uh, it's on the Atlantic coast. Yeah, between the ocean and Jacksonville. Jacksonville would actually benefit by having the ocean poured directly on it, but the mm-hmm. beach communities are still kind of nice.
0: Yes, yeah, I I, I ask uh, Ray this for the listeners because I ask, I grew up in Florida. So in the back of your book with the acknowledgments, I was interested to see that you said Neptune Beach to Jupiter, and because uh, yeah. I, I that's where I grew up, very close to, to Jupiter. So
1: <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing better than a girl from Jupiter. <laughs> uh, you can say that where you're from. Jupiter.
0: Exactly. People. Oh, yeah. You should meet my friend Kristen. Everybody look always looks at her a a bit funny when she says that, but. so, so you were there for the, the, the first reading. And, yes. and are, do you know um, the bookmark as well as you, you know Shaman Drum here in town? Because you've got your sh- <laughs> you not know. know.
1: I don't know if it's possible for me to know anything as exhaustively as I know the Shaman Drum.
0: Will you explain that a little <laughs> um, bit, right?
1: I, I have been visiting the bookmark just as a reader uh, for years. So I was very, they, they had me read there for the first book. And I was very flattered that they asked me back
0: Oh, and then, um, but with shaman, can we can we talk a little bit about shaman drum now? Because, uh, of course, you're you're very familiar with with that book bookshop and it's actually got a, a pretty big event happening later this week. You're reading on Saturday, yeah. right, at eight, uh, seven o'clock um, at shaman drum on Saturday, this Saturday, uh, March eighth. Um, and then we also have like the the two days before another big event. Yes. Um, maybe the opening event now. <laughs> um, with uh, the Writing in Public Conference.
1: Yes. Uh, in, Are you uh, going to be? In honor of all that Carl's done for the community.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, and, and Gary Snyder and Andrea Barrett will be coming Correct. for that. And,
1: yeah, and, and a bunch uh, a bunch of uh, writers and editors coming in for panel discussion as well.
0: Charles Baxter.
1: Uh, uh, Michael Wiegers. From
0: Copper Canyon. Uh,
1: Rebecca Wolf.
0: Oh, who who also I think is is mentioned in your your first collection in the acknowledgments?
1: Yes, she's uh, Rebecca's my editor, constant critic.
0: Oh, okay. well, so many things to talk about with. And
1: I actually met her through uh, through shaman uh, when she came to town to give a reading from one of her books.
0: Oh, and and so what? How often is the the constant critic part of your? Life, like what portion does that take up in your life?
1: Right? Oh, it's not as constant as once it was. Uh, well, we, all, so. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. we ended up we ended up taking an informal hiatus. Uh, ideally, we uh, each of the reviewers posts maybe uh, once a month, once every three weeks. Yeah, and we're just we're bringing in bringing in someone new. I think uh, Joelle McSweeney is uh, moving into uh, emeritus status because she's very busy doing other things. But we're bringing in uh, K. Salem Muhammad, Casey Muhammad. Uh, who's a really active blogger in the poetry community and a really smart guy. Oh, so funny. I think he'll be debuting uh, his first review for us uh, probably at the end of this month.
0: And how does your work for well? That's exciting. I'm glad, like that's kind of cool that to have that go out over the airwaves. Um, but how does your work for Constant Critic? How does it um, sort of infuse like the life of your mind or or, or your own uh, poetry?
1: Well, I I like to think that uh, well, like everyone else, you know, I have uh, I have aesthetic preferences. But I think it's really easy, particularly in poetry world, to get locked into your aesthetic preferences mm. to assume that your uh, that your taste actually has a kind of ethical component right there's yeah, there's nothing more irritating to poets than other poets uh, and what's what's been really good for me about writing those reviews is that uh, you know i have I have written a handful, I think of fairly of fairly harsh reviews. Um, but primarily, they're just an opportunity for me to kind of consider and appreciate and understand other people's work, and I elect work to review almost, but not quite, randomly, just so I can just so I can ha- uh, so I can maintain an active sense of what other people are doing, and I hope, as naive as it is, that the advantage uh, the advantage it affords me is also the advantage that it affords the reader that they are then, you know, able to consider things they might not otherwise consider. Right. And at least give them an option of a way to think about it rather than just an endorsement or an indictment.
0: Mm. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I'm glad that you've said that. Because sometimes I wonder about the the aspect of of criticism and... You know I know it's it surrounds us in academia <laughs> um surely, but uh just its effect on 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 the artistic impulse. I guess that's the most simplistic way to voice a worry <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> of what what what, uh, what are your aesthetic uh, preferences, Ray, for what your are uh, if you had your druthers uh, oh, wow. what what how would you describe them and is it? Would you say that your aesthetic preferences are also the mode that you work in? Is that what what poets you see you see happening?
1: Uh, I work. It's a really hard question to answer. It makes me even hearing it makes me kind of uncomfortable. Oh. Um I
0: Sorry about that. No.
1: <laughs> I've gotta go.
0: It's the first fifteen minutes. I really try to be gentle here.
1: This was appalling. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> he's tearing
0: up, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, he's fine.
1: <laughs> I'm gazing mournfully out the bay windows. Um, Oh, uh, ideally, in in a perfect world, I I would be able to honestly claim that I had uh, no consistent practice and no consistent preference. You know, I I work pretty hard to avoid, for lack of a better word, uh, an artistic identity. Uh, what? Well,
0: think... so, so that's a conscious decision, then.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. No, I think uh, there's something there's something dangerous, or at least something really dangerous for me in imagining that uh, that uh, my artistry air quote for uh, listeners at home uh, that my uh, that that my uh, my artistry or what it is that uh, that I make refers back or depends upon some kind of static uh, artist's sensibility. I don't really like separating uh, all the other areas of my life or my mind or what I do from whatever it is I happen to be making. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I tend to think about things in a very artifactual sense. Uh, I think of poetry as a thing, mm. something that you build, make, distort, manipulate. Uh, and w- the thing is not at all uh, the person who makes the thing. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does, it does, and it's actually it's really good to hear. I guess in in your first your first published book, Murder of Violet, um, it seems like that's. V- that serves as a great example of what you've just said because even in the beginning of uh, your preface to that book you say that it's not it's meant to be unbounded so you yeah. actually almost sound a bit um a bit miffed that it even has to be sort of ordered in some way to come to people <laughs> you know you'd rather them just mix it up at, or have like the, the chaos of the pages or so it so it's interesting that 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 that's um I don't know. That just seems to be an example of of, of your your working principle. Well, you can't uh,
1: you know you can't control what people are going to do with an object. Mm-hmm. All you can do is address them
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, as uh, as potential as people who you know uh, are <laughs> at liberty to manipulate that object. You can speak to them directly and tell them what you think about that object and encourage them to do various things with it. But you can't really stop them uh, from doing whatever it is that they want. And I think there's actually something encouraging about that, even though it may, in certain instances, have uh, disconcerting consequences. Uh, I think it's actually more uh,
0: when it's not what you intend or what or they go out. What do you mean? The idea of not controlling it, even though you know it at the outset.
1: I think I think anyone who's ever shown anything they've made to someone else, especially to a little community of other makers. uh, uh, The first time you do that, you're always astonished at the things that people do or do not see. Yeah, and, uh, and and what they like think,
0: and do not like, and
1: well, you know, again, they're at liberty to like or dislike whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think the, there's a greater danger not uh, there's there's a greater danger in trying to uh, discourage or diminish that autonomy than there is in directly addressing that autonomy.
0: The autonomy of the audience.
1: The autonomy of other readers.
0: Readers, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, as if, uh, as if you can somehow contain or control the outcome of their reading. Their reading is, is their privilege. <laughs> right. It belongs to them.
0: Yeah. They can do it however. Please they like. read. In fact, please read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's really interesting to think about the idea of poem as an artifact, especially when um, it's if we're se- um. When we're sound- oh okay I I think you know what let's come back and talk about artifacts. Um, Ray, All right, we'll we'll, we'll take a come- we'll take
1: a walk around the block. A
0: little yeah, gaze out the window. <laughs> All right, you're listening to Living Writers today, Raymond McDaniel. Welcome back. If you're just joining us today on Living Writers, uh, lucky to have Ray McDaniel in the studio. Uh, His new book, Saltwater Empire. Uh, We were just talking uh, before the break about artifacts, um, because Ray brought that up. And... um, and I love that. I love that idea as poem. Because when you kind of think of the history of poems and poetry, it's very oral. Like, it's, it's, it's coming to you maybe not with a body. Or, and, and usually when you think of artifacts, objects, or a phys- with a physical presence. And and uh, and now with sort of the the world um, that you're very involved in with Constant Critic and the blogging and of the of the internet and the computer, sometimes it feels like the physical world Mm -hmm. is disappearing even more. And so I love that you're talking about the objectness of a poem or of a of a collection of poems that make a book or bounded or unbounded
1: well there's you know there's the way in which uh, in which though the book or the page itself is a literal object uh, but I I also like to think of it in terms of its uh, of its it's potentially uh, infinite utility for whoever comes across it.
0: Like it's life. Would that is that what you mean by nah, that? No, it's what?
1: Uh, it's it's life inheres in the use that is made of it. Um, so I think I think there's uh, there's a bad strange and a good strange that comes with uh, that comes with poetry. You know, the bad strange is the poetry nausea or poetry anxiety, as I, as I define it to my students. The sense that uh, a poet that a poem or poetry in general requires a very specific form of understanding mm. in order to be able to appreciate it all. And this uh, this winds people up in a really unfortunate way.
0: And what uh, what kind of po- poisons people against poetry in some ways?
1: Sure, it fills them it fills them with uh, with a kind of dread, uh, as, if the poetry, not yeah, uh, as if the poetry yeah, uh, as if the poetry bespeaks a degree of knowledge that because they do not have speaks poorly of them. Every poem in that sense becomes an insult, uh, but the the good strange. If you can kind of or if you can kind of erase the uh, the bad strangeness, the good strangeness is the way in which the, the way in which the, the reader or the person who encounters the poem can inject into that object something that changes it or alchemizes it. And then the object becomes a part of them. So every poem in that sense, even words and poems, images, uh, phrases and ideas, they're all objects and devices by which you can make more of yourself mm. Mm. Uh, And in that sense, you know the only the only ethical uh, the only ethical uh, intuition I have about that is that if you are going to be making more of yourself, do you want to make more of what you already have? Or do you want to make things that were previously unimaginable to you?
0: Mm, yeah, to have things uh, sort of uh, wrenched yeah. in a so, good way.
1: Yeah, no, I have a very, in that sense, as a reader, I a, I'm uh, I'm deeply pragmatic and utilitarian. I I read as widely as I can because that affords me the greatest opportunity to find and use things mm. for my own purposes.
0: And it's good. It's sort of as a uh, almost like. Often people who who work in the public eye, uh, as you do, uh, with the constant oh, critic yeah, or, or idea. well, well, as a, because in a way you're like this this gatekeeper, and if you did just have, if you didn't have this. Um, this ethos to to read widely and to and almost randomly, as you said, to take books on randomly and to to challenge yourself to talk about them. it could be that people were just then reading what you were reading instead of also branching out, so I think that's like a a, a good bonus, because, you hope, know, like movie critics, people follow certain movies, you know, just to make right. it mundane <laughs> less, less petty. Uh,
1: I think, I mean, I'm, I'm sure in some ways anyone who uh, anyone whose life is so empty that they've paid close attention to what it is that I've done uh, might be <laughs> able to predict the kinds of things that I'm curious about or what I'm likely to say, but I hope that they wouldn't be able to predict what I'm going to say it about. Mm-hmm. And so i'm not you know I'm not a gatekeeper in that sense, I'm just a corridor. I'm just a means by which people can get to some other thing mm. and all i and all I'm offering them is uh a way of considering the the place at which they've arrived
0: and and is that how you see um also the work that you do for for introducing when you're talking about people when they come to Shaman Drum Bookshop, um, that's one of another thing that you're known for. Um, In, are your introductions?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as I've said before, it's a small, humiliating niche market, but it's all mine. <laughs>
0: um, and 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 so what? Yeah, what does that what does that even mean to you that this is something that you that you do and that that you take a, a, a certain uh, pride in crafting um, before well, you introduce that's, people.
1: That's a it's it's a very it's a very simple thing. I mean, it's uh, it's very for me at least. It's very basic graciousness. You know, if you are going to invite someone into your home, and the bookstore is a kind of home, you want them to understand that you have invited them there. For a reason, mm-hmm. you know, the least that anyone can do if you were going to have someone read in your store is familiarize yourself with their work, and you can't do that without reading it—at least reading enough of it—to be able to speak. You know, to be able to speak to it, uh, and then you know, then there's also a level of graciousness that is that you know because when when someone gives a reading, it's meant to be a celebration of the work that they've put in. To uh, to making that book, and it seems to me that there's an obligation on the part of the introducer to not celebrate that work in an impersonal way, mm-hmm. but to try to understand what the writer wanted to do, and to represent not just the book, but the hope and the belief and uh, and the desire that went into its making. Mm. And that's and that's really all an introduction requires. I mean, I've had to introduce plenty of books I didn't like, but I, you know, but I would refuse to introduce a book with which I couldn't even empathize.
0: It's interesting that you mention and hope too, because uh, I, that brings up something that I wanted to talk to talk about with you um, on the back of Saltwater Empire. Uh i am I am gonna cure that.
1: did you have a drowning incident when you were a child? Were you bitten by the ocean when you were a little girl?
0: I love the Atlantic <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Florida <laughs> um, well, I had a couple of questions about this from Saltwater Empire on the back of the book um. There's, it's, you know, the summary the, the the summary on the back. They offer, and I'm I'm reading here. They offer an uncommonly perceptive look at cataclysmic disaster, human cruelty, and cultural resilience. And I was thinking about that triad of, of words there to that that are talking about this book of poems, um, cataclysmic disaster, and human cruelty. <laughs> That's, those are, (laughs) God, that's, you know, (laughs) take this book to the beach, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, no, don't, it's salt water, there's disaster ahead. Um, But then, so I think it's interesting that then on the end of the the triad, there's like cultural resiliency. So is that a necessary, is hope that you're just actually just mentioned too, is that like a necessary uh, component in order to, to even—is it a balancing, or is it something that we that naturally occurs? Because as humans, we are cruel, but we also need hope. What What do you think about that? Because that's like a big thing on the back of your well. Kind hmm.
1: of—that's a big question. Uh, enduring cruelty is presents uh, presents a challenge, you know, and the the problem of hope is that you don't. You don't want your commitment to hope to force or necessitate error, right so uh, hope mm-hmm. can be very dangerous in that regard uh, so you know in the, in the context of this particular book I mean one of the things that I you know that I find particularly heartbreaking about the you know the fate of the fate of the city, the fate of New Orleans is that many of those people who uh, were at greatest risk and who have suffered the most are people who believe the most profoundly in, uh, in their citizenship. You know, they believe that if they worked hard, uh, saved money, owned a home, were good citizens, that the city and the state and the country would give them what was promised by that hope. Now, that's a complicated thing. The pursuit uh, of
0: happiness. Perhaps.
1: Well, just you know the uh, the basic obligations that their, you know the the community, uh, the local community, and the community at large uh, would have to those people. Uh, now, you could argue that that hope was a profound mistake. And that if they had been more cynical, it would have brought them. Uh, it would have brought them to a place where they would have been more realistic. Had they been more realistic, uh, then perhaps they would have been better prepared. Now, I don't necessarily believe that. I think that's, uh, that in itself is a deeply cynical argument. I don't believe that just because people are sometimes punished because of their hope, that it's wrong. For them to persist in believing that things can be different, because if they don 't believe that things can be different, it begins to erode their ability to make ethical decisions right? uh, the whole The whole idea of injustice disappears in uh, in the real politic of hopelessness. Mm. And uh, yeah, you know, as, uh, as heartbreaking as it is to see people manipulated and deceived and betrayed and abandoned, you cannot blame them for being the object of that kind of cruelty and mistreatment simply because they acted as if people were capable of decency. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Some kind of sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does, and I mean, really, and also, I mean, not to sound cheesy after all of the things that you've just said, but without hope, I mean, that's like the the what's being human, like what what makes us human. Then that would be destroyed, whatever that is. I would think. Um,
1: well, there's a reason you persist. There, you know, there uh, there has to be.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um, I wonder so so when you're you're talking about like these these people and you're you're talking about them as a they right so then it seems like um, the, then you're you have different voices that come out of saltwater yeah. empire and so maybe we can maybe we could hear a couple of poems when we come back from the break sure. and maybe talk about these characters or these voices how you see them in your poems does that that yeah, sound, sounds, great. sounds fair okay you're listening to living writers today Raymond McDaniel um, WCBN FM Ann Arbor is uh, on your radio or your computer. We'll be back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us today on Living Writers, Raymond McDaniel, with his book Saltwater Empire. Um, so, Ray, we were talking about um, the voice, the vo- the the um, hope, and um, and the pe- the people who are inhabiting your poems, and and it's it's curious to me because it feels very character driven for a mm. book of poems. And so, uh, what? Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, that obviously is intentional. These voices are coming through. Are some of the voices reoccurring, and how do you how do you picture these voices? Are they t- taking the f- the shape of individual characters who you know in your mind, even if we're as readers not like introduced to them in a traditional fashion?
1: Uh, that's that's a really smart question. Uh, I in general I resist writing autobiographically. Um, largely out of a sense, uh it's it's kind of a consequence of having read a lot of poetry. uh, you know, the more of it you read, the more you get to know the way other people's minds work in a very kind of lucid, direct sense. Here's what happened to me, here's what I think. Uh, and the the value of that for me, uh just... I don't know. There was, it was definitely a case of diminishing returns. Uh, and, so, you know, and so when I sit down to write things, I do always have characters in my mind. Some of them are uh, actual persons. Uh, some of them are hybrids. Some of them are purely invented. I treat them all equally uh, because I'm interested in what that variety uh, affords me the opportunity to hear. And then record. Uh, in this uh, in this book, there, uh, there are voices that uh, that are the voices of actual persons. There's a sequence of poems called Convention Centers of the New World, and they're all assembled from uh, oral histories taken by the volunteers for Alive and Truth, which is uh, the New Orleans Disaster Oral History and Memory Project.
0: And is that is that available for people to is that something that's on 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 the web or yes is that they
1: do uh, they do have uh, many of uh, uh, the reports archived. Did uh, you? That's uh, that's aliveandtruth.org.
0: Did did you talk? Did you go um, to New Orleans as like a research component of this ray as well?
1: I didn't go as a research uh, component. I just went uh, as a citizen.
0: As a yeah, and, yeah, and just after to go,
1: just to go back.
0: Because you'd you'd been to New Orleans before. It's, a it's part of yeah, your Southern it's history.
1: <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's part of my prior landscape.
0: And the, and so and so you returned after Katrina, and uh, to as not to okay. This is I'm going to use a, a terrible poetry word like as witness. You know, to to. To see for yourself, or to what was your what was your impulse? Because you you had this you had begun this book. It wasn't something that was um, triggered by no. this disaster. You were working on like a collection that was sort of rooted in this southern experience.
1: In my you know in my highly circumscribed uh, experiences there, yeah. Again, things I'd heard and things I'd seen.
0: But then it became influenced. By by the disaster, it gave it, gave it a different shape.
1: Well, the shape, central or? the central metaphor of uh, of the book when I started working on it, you know, when when I had a lot of it written, was uh, was a flood, mm. uh, a you know a, a displacing storm, and uh, when Katrina happened, it just seemed perverse to continue with the book and not acknowledge the effect that it had, you know, uh, not only on something as trivial as my mind, but on the people and the places with which I was most familiar. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, so I didn't, I didn't go down there for a reason exactly. I just went because I had to go. mm mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. And okay, now going back to the the poems that you 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 mentioned throughout the book, um, there there's a series of poems um, convention centers of the new world, um, but but they they come pretty early on. I think it might even be. Um, let's see. We start. I think maybe the first one is on page twenty-four, Ray. And I noticed when the second one came, I was surprised because I hadn't looked at the table of contents obviously closely. <laughs> so, and I was like, "Oh well, why doesn't it say two? And then I was like, "Oh, there's a, th- uh, you know." And so it's interesting. Was it a very like just to talk about structure for a moment? Um, and then I want you to read one because I keep going back to talking about it instead of uh, actually um, getting getting some poems on the air. Um, but was that was that a, a, a long? Poem that then you envisioned bat- working better, broken into pieces throughout the book, and that's why it's not. It, there's no numbers attached to the different resurfacing of con- convention centers of the new world.
1: There's uh, there are no numbers because it's uh, it's a collective document of a collective experience. And there's, you know, there's a slight chronological component, and it, it, it roughly uh, traces uh, people's reports of their prior experience and their context and their background, and then what they actually endured and what they think about what they've endured. Uh, Did but, it
0: come to you as one piece that that you then broke, or was it? No, was it something- I
1: read. Uh, I read. Dozens and dozens of these things, uh, and I started taking notes on the basis of certain phrases that uh, that reappeared. Uh, that uh, that I, I what I what I began to detect was that in those moments where you know in those moments uh, of storytelling. When people found themselves particularly shocked or outraged or baffled, they would fall back on uncertain, uh, familiar expressions, um, uh, and those. They started recognizing those as kind of red flags in a way.
0: What would? Can, um, what, is, what are some examples? Because I well, think of godlets, that word. Because people's
1: I invocation. Uh, people's invocation of uh, of uh, um, uh, the word failure um uh the uh the way they uh the way they talked about god when they actually cited the name of the city the frequency with which they would talk uh about the city as if it were uh a coherent uh unit a person itself mm. um those patterns of commonality struck me as really interesting and then uh and then i went back and i started to assemble some of these fragments as they begin to satellite or maybe accrete uh, around these, you know, these uh, points of commonality or consistency.
0: It's, it's interesting that you, you point that out because also a place is such a piece of ourselves without us really even knowing it, especially if it's, if, if the people haven't have lived there all their lives. It becomes like it, it's such a, a piece of who you are. And if it's suddenly gone, and in, and in that, how do you and get back to it? And in that place, particularly, yeah, yeah, uh,
1: where there, you know, there are a lot of people uh, who were born there who never left. You know, uh, that's where their that's where their people are from, and that's where they and their families plan on staying. And everyone is from somewhere. But you know, I uh, but <laughs> just uh, you know, to give a sublimely ridiculous example. Uh, the degree to which someone would invest much of their identity in being an Ann Arborite. Well, you know, what what an embarrassing thing that would be. Uh, not because there's anything conspicuously wrong with the community, but because it's just not big and old enough uh, to, to justify that kind of emotional investment.
0: Let's, before I take us anywhere else with other questions, let's, um, let's hear a poem. And, and, and this is a poem with the characters in mind, like the voice coming through strongly. Right, Ray? Is that
1: this is one, one of the convention okay. centers of the New World. Okay. I'm not perfect. I try to be perfect, and what will keep me from panicking is understanding that I could pray. Whatever God want to hand me, he's going to want to hand me. So that would keep me humble. But the devil do get a hold to me sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I'll go for like two or three months, and then I'll back away for like two or three months. That's not good at all, because as good as God has been to me, I need to serve him every day of the week. This had to happen. The hurricane had to happen. This was the way the Lord had to clean New Orleans up. Because the police could not stop the violence, the drugs, the murder, the robbing, the rape. The police couldn't stop it. So that was the way for the Lord to stop it. He wiped out what he wanted to wipe out. But far as myself, I think the Lord has given me nine chances. I don't have no more. I don't have no more chances with God. I could pray, but whatever God want to hand me, he kind of want to hand me.
0: Thank you Ray that's it's it's, um, it's interesting that that's the first poem that you you chose to read um, too because uh, when I was thinking about cre- you creating ca- characters within this or that or writing about uh, people or hybrids of, of, of um, living people um, this is like that's exactly one of the quotes that I wrote down. I'm not perfect. I try to be perfect, and what will keep one from panicking is understanding that I could pray. And I thought there was so many, so much, so, so much, even in that that couple, like how it appears as that the couplet there with the. Um, uh, with that voice, the I so so strong, of course. But then that idea of under—it's not even that I that I'm praying, but that understanding that I could pray. Like there's right. so many things going on <laughs> in that, which I just thought, wow, that's uh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's uh you know that that poem in particular, and that refrain in a lot of these testimonies was very difficult for me because of course you know i don't i don't agree with that i don't agree with it uh i don't agree with it spiritually i don't agree with it religiously, but I had to respect that that was a common response uh that you know that uh, the for all the awfulness and the terror, there were many people who believed that it was deserved.
0: That was actually one of the disturbing moments for reading that poem. Because how I loved how it began with the, the not panicking part. Like I thought, oh, this is going to be one that might even be more soothing within this <laughs> maelstrom. <laughs> But then I became increasingly disturbed because of the because it made me also think of the like hearing people talk about other um, uh, disasters like like the AIDS epidemic or where people make these statements like well it's meant to happen or or this is why we have wars you know overpopulation. population. Well,
1: what's I mean, what's tricky in this case is that usually when you hear things like that, it's an outsider population uh, trying to excuse the you know, the suffering or, yes. of. Uh, of a population of which they aren't a part, it's very different when the population that is suffering makes that claim about itself. But oh, then there's, just, yeah. you know, there's uh, a few pages later, there's another convention center's poem that takes, uh, you know, that uh, that takes the exact opposite pack. And I heard that claim just as frequently and often. And uh, what's the claim? And often from the same from the same people.
0: And, and what was the claim?
1: Uh, that uh, that. Uh, This is a man-made disaster. That this is the fault of the of the leaders of the city, the wealthy.
0: And this is uh, Raymond McDaniel, Saltwater Empire, his latest book. You're listening to WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. We'll be right back. Hi, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM. And today we have Raymond McDaniel.
1: Who's a big stick in the mud?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Who's a grim, moody, pretty nasty man.
0: Um Wow. Okay. Well, as you can tell, we don't edit Living Writers. <laughs> Because if we did, I, I'd edit that out. Because um, Ray, this has been a, a wonderful uh, conversation. So, um, so go on being however you uh, however you are. <laughs> 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 please, please do. So yes,
1: again, listeners at home, would that you could see me sitting on my soapbox. My feet don't even reach the floor. I swing my legs back and forth.
0: Whee! He's very tall. Anyway, okay, Saltwater Empire. Um, This is the book you'll be reading at Shaman Drum this Saturday, March 8th, 7 p.m. Will you you read us another poem now to give uh, listeners a chance to have a, a... preview of sorts
1: yeah this uh, this is the last poem in the book actually Uh, it's called Transfix Ingredient Uh, and yeah I want to give a shout out to my mother uh, because this poem in some ways explains or apologizes for uh, my cutting through the screen uh, the window screen in my bedroom when I was a kid they weren't keeping me prisoner I could have just walked right out but yeah I always have to make my own exit. Transfix Ingredient. This little jade claw undoes all. The flanks of the lizard flare, pellet and shade its wizardry. Curl of chameleon green in the screen door's solder fix. Ozone scent sunk to wire tines. Signature Animal. It's cold blood done folding now Thunder trills the reptile Those airs shared chameleon Green god, green teeming Leaves also sheath Throat swollen scarlet White paint opened the door Cut away through this stray rain Sprung open each spring cut sound Liar's library and boning knife Color and kin persistent the world of grasses of drown, our plundered underworld, salt water, our skin
0: thank you, Ray. thanks for reading that one really yeah
1: no uh, no problem
0: it, um, it, it I think it, for me it was evocative of childhood too and and really i don't think I've ever heard one of the the Florida lizards uh uh, captured so well.
1: Uh, I miss the lizards of Florida. Yeah, there was a there was a great war going on a couple of years ago. Uh, as it gets warmer and warmer, the uh, the Cuban lizards creep their way up to the north uh, and give the annals a hard time. Uh, so it's like seeing evil dinosaurs fight good dinosaurs in miniature. But I think uh, I think the annals are making a comeback.
0: Oh, this is great. I almost feel like we're getting a little Planet Earth here. Yes. <laughs> Tune in for Living Writers and, and a moment with Planet Earth with uh, uh Ray. Uh,
1: that's how I, uh, when I moved here, that's how I explained to people what Florida is like. They say, well, it's a very different place, right? And I'm like, yeah, there are things that are alive there.
0: Yeah, and things that can get you, and very gentle things like manatees, too.
1: Oh, manatees. I had a student, I had a student once who tried to convince me that manatees didn't exist.
0: But why? Why? What? I
1: don't know. What uh, folly? Yeah, they, they, uh, <laughs> it's the folly. You deny the majesty of the manatee.
0: The uh, sea cow. Yeah,
1: they didn't believe that alligators or manatees were real. And I initially, I was inclined to take offense, but then I remembered uh, uh, somebody asked me once what I did, and I said, I'm a poet, and they burst out laughing, not because they were making fun of poets, even though that would have been justifiable, but because uh, they thought I was joking, because they assumed that poets were extinct. But no. <laughs>
0: Much like... Poets, manatees,
1: poets and, manatees. and alligators. <laughs> you yeah, know, foolishly, we just keep on keeping on.
0: That's right. I love that. Keep on, keeping on.
1: Yeah, we, you know, uh, they lose they lose a couple of poets every year to speedboat accidents. But.
0: <laughs> you can see our scars. That's how we're yeah, identified. That's right. <laughs> oh no. Okay, no more Florida insider manatee humor. Or okay, um, but it's interesting when you said the the lizards. It seemed with the. Um, uh, the warming and the, the there's like a mini battle going on that reminds me of your your other project that you're working on with the, the superhero collection yeah right uh, can you tell us a little bit about that
1: well I just you know I just promised my family that one day I'd write something that was funny and I'm two books in and yeah nada uh <laughs> <laughs>
0: like the bookmarks, like, come Uh, on, man, Neptune Beach needs some humor down here. So, uh,
1: in in, a completely whimsical, narcissistic fashion, my third book is all based on uh, The Legion of Superheroes, which is the the longest-running serial narrative of the 20th century. It's uh, it's a comic book about teenage superheroes in the 30th century, and uh, it's come out once a month for 50 years now.
0: And are you, are you a subscriber, then? Or is that a, too obvious? <laughs> Am I <of> a <laughs> subscriber?
1: But, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're taping this on Wednesday. Uh, that means it's comic book day. I will be picking up comic books tonight, as I do every Wednesday and have for my entire life. And if I'm lucky, there will be a new issue of The Legion of Superheroes.
0: Oh, I hope so. And yeah. why Wednesday? Why Wednesday for superheroes or comic books?
1: I don't know. That's just when they. Uh, that's just when they ship.
0: Oh, really? So you're kind of there. getting there just as the new shipment arrives. But oh, you I think I'm You think I'm gonna wait a ra- <laughs> day? Well, I thought it was just a Ray ritual. I didn't know. Like uh, I thought. Uh-uh.
1: <laughs> no. Every Every Wednesday, this is the uh, the candy colored nostalgia that holds my brain together.
0: And where do you pick up? Where do you get your fix?
1: Vault of Midnight. The uh, the premiere comic book shop of Southeast Michigan, courtesy of Curtis and Liz, uh, a, uh, a fabulously insane punk rock couple with uh, an amazing son and daughter. Every time I visit that store, I can't make my mind whether or not I want to act, uh, which member of the family I want to be. <laughs>
0: Do
1: we want to be Curtis? No, it's it's Liz. No, it's their it's their son. It's Dana. I want to be Dana. No, it's their, it's their crazy little girl. Who once came to a, a picnic, uh, <laughs> came to a superhero picnic with came to a superhero picnic with a bunch of shells in her hair and her hair all brushed in one direction and introduced <laughs> herself as Tidal Wave.
0: Oh, that's really great.
1: I'll never make a child that good, but I'm lucky to know one.
0: I know so so this is some and this is an ongoing project the the, the with the superheroes and uh uh do you have any favorite like uh like favorite characters do you have any evil characters in it too or are they all sort of we're only looking at the hero- heroic side of things or you know, this or...
1: is uh this is a DC comic and DC tends to be a little more uh a little more simplistic in its morality uh so I'm interested in uh, in the heroes here because their 50-year narrative is now so recursively <laughs> complex. It's like the Talmud, uh, <laughs> but uh, so I do I do have favorites.
0: How are you working in that then, Ray? Because I was lucky enough to hear some at Crazy Wisdom, some of your poems about um, from this project. But so, how are, what are you actually doing with them? Like, what are you what are you illuminating about it? And
1: well, I've got I've got a lot of monologues uh, that are written from the point of view of a character named Brainiac Five, um, and then I have a lot of poems that are uh, kind of hyperbolic retellings of epic moments in uh, the group's history, and then there are some poems that are almost kind of. Oral meditations on, uh, on the powers and personalities of the characters themselves. I got to do a bunch of crazy things. Yeah. I, when I started <laughs> it, I was doing it just to kind of, uh, it was in the very pit of self-indulgence. And then when I started reading them out loud, people just ate them up mm-hmm. and I was amazed. I was amazed. Like I worked really hard on these Two books that have you know some some serious questions in them, yeah. Shut up, Ray Ray. Let's hear the <laughs> ones uh, about uh, about Brainiac Five.
0: So so when is this? When's the third book coming out? What,
1: should uh, should be out uh, twenty ten maybe twenty eleven.
0: Will that be with Coffee House Press? Is 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 uh, Coffee still
1: be... uh, still up in the air?
0: So okay, yeah. but oh, but it's that's one a good. Well, we'll have to we'll have to do more radio. Then would you have other projects that you're working on, or are the or is is this is the are the superheroes sort of like uh, absorbing all of your your brain power for poems?
1: My problem is that I could take any one of the books I've written and just keep on writing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could spend I could spend a lifetime in any with, one of them. And
0: with Saltwater Empire too, you feel that way. Oh yeah. 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 The yeah where you're from never quite lets you go, does it? Like the South, like those.
1: No. Yeah. Uh, you know it's. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty obvious traditional paradox. You know, you can't uh you can't reinhabit it but you also can't ever really get away.
0: Hmm. Yeah. You know,
1: when I was a kid I thought I thought a lot about getting away. Um but now Yeah, now not so much. Yeah. yeah. I'm you know, I'm happy to uh uh to have been to have it be a part of me, to be a part of uh of what happened there.
0: Hmm. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today, right? Well,
1: I know it was, uh, it was a lot of trouble scheduling, so... Nah, uh,
0: nah, nah. Yeah.
1: And, and again, <laughs> I, I really wish people could see what I can see right now. Uh, the <laughs> glorious blinds, the beautiful windows, the sunshine streaming in.
0: All the electronics. Talk that up, right.
1: <laughs> you should also know that the studio is filled with cats.
0: That would be the death of me, I'm afraid. Um, okay, before we go, though, I'd like to just also say that um, uh, Lorna Goodison, she she um, she has, uh, you have a blurb of Lorna's on the back of Saltwater Empire.
1: Lorna's the best.
0: Lorna is, she's so lovely. <laughs> and she's also going to be at Shaman Drum coming up uh, March 11th at 7 p.m. Uh, so Lorna Goodison will be there, and that's with her... Her latest book, um, Lorna's internationally known as a poet, but now she's coming to us with a memoir from Harvey River, uh, a memoir of my mother and her island. It just won the 2008 BC award for Canadian nonfiction. So.
1: It's a gorgeous book. Yeah. It's a gorgeous book. And Lorna uh, Lorna also gave me my uh, all-time favorite compliment slash insult.
0: What's oak? Oh, that What a perfect way to end. <laughs>
1: Uh yeah, I uh spend almost all summer here walking around in the same uh pair of uh cut off sweatpants. <laughs> I was upstairs in the English department doing uh some you know, some subordinate business. And she just saw me in the hallway and shook her head and said, Rude boy <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's, that's Raymond McDaniel, his book, Saltwater Empire. You've been listening to the Living Writers uh, Program. Thanks, Jesse Johnston, for engineering. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. To his right, throwing in the end zone for Arrington. Caught, touchdown Michigan. Takes a snap, looking to throw near side. Now he's gonna go far, over the middle. He's got a man, caught, touchdown Michigan. Adrian Arrington wide open in the back of the end zone, over the middle, and Michigan marches right down the field. No problem, they have the lead again. It's 37 to 35. Four wide receivers, T Bone and Shotgun. Moore lined up to his right. He's going to throw for it. Pressure coming. He's rolling to his left. Still looking. Still looking. He's going. He's throwing down. He throws up a prayer. He's got a man. And it is incomplete.
1: Michigan's going to win the 2008 Capital One Bowl as Lloyd Carr's last game as the University
0: of Michigan head football coach. You're listening to the Daily Sports Report on WCBN 88.3 FM, your home for Michigan sports.
1: And a pleasant good evening to you, everyone, and welcome inside the WCBN FM Ann
0: Arbor studios for your Wednesday edition of the Daily Sports Report. I'm Jeremy Kreisberg, alongside John Zachardelli, Nick Tejeda, and Rob Solomon behind the glass. And speaking of Rob, he's got your Michigan news for today.
1: The only Michigan news today, I guess we can look ahead to the schedule a little bit for the weekend. Obviously, outside of the Michigan football game, the men's soccer team is out in San Diego State this weekend. They'll play Friday in a tournament.